listening to First Church Charlotte. great week. It is my privilege and my honor uh, to be able to teach the word of the Lord here today. It is the most honorable uh, or honorific, shall I say, thing that any individual is able to do. And so I want to do that today. And I want to direct your attention to John chapter number eight. And if you will read with me in John chapter number eight, we're going to read a specific passage of the scripture. If I can, uh, if I can, I forgot to actually put the actual uh, notation in my notes, which is something that I would not recommend to anyone who is public speaking. Um, but in this passage here uh, is the, the, the famous passage where Jesus stands up in that that day of the feast and he says to them all I am the light of the world I am the light of the world does anybody see exactly which scripture that is I believe it's John chapter number 8 it's 8 and 12 all right if you would follow the direction of the anointed people in the audience and direct uh Uh, your attention to this Jesus Jesus saying unto them I am the light of the world he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life so I am wanting to use that as a theme here for a little while will you help me for a few moments will you just kind of uh, listen actively and let this teaching be more than a monologue be more of a dialogue that means when I something I say something you say that's good so let's practice God's love see very good I knew we were going to work well touch your neighbor one more time tell him you're glad to be in church with him and you may be seated Amen. 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 So this moment in the scripture happened. It happened at the end of the feast of tabernacles. So I, to understand this moment of scripture, you need to, you need to understand what is happening at the feast of, of tabernacles. And so let me give you a little bit of context uh, into this moment. Now it's presented slightly different in the gospels, uh, the various gospel recordings, because remember the gospel writers were telling things as they remembered it and they are giving an accurate version of it. This is part of the proof that each respective gospel writer is accurately trying to tell the story as they remember it, not collaborating on a made-up story. This is very important. It is well shown and well proven that if you have a jury trial and you have witnesses where people were in the same event, like for example, uh, let's say that in the middle of my message someone burst into the uh, church and begin to sing jingle bells as they ran around and handed out Christmas cane. Uh, 
Christmas candy. So, uh, candy canes, whatever. And so, uh, after, after that transpired later on, you were interviewed and you would say, how do you remember what happened? Now, we would all remember it slightly differently. The way you can tell we ag- made up a lie that we agreed on is all of our story has perfect consistency. That's not how stories are remembered. In other words, so if you're going to try to, you know, fool the law, you need to agree on your story, but you need to have telling differences that show the subjective authenticity of the witness. Do you see? The Gospels, each of them have slight variation. Now, a critic tries to see this because they're looking at it unseriously. They try to see it as proof that there is error when actually it is the memory of individuals that are authentically telling the story as they remember it. I I, I should apologize for my voice today. Uh, I know it's a little uncomfortable to listen to somebody's voice when it's all in bad shape like this, but you will survive. Uh, It's up in the air whether or not I will survive, but you will survive. And so uh, the idea is that these gospel writers, they tell the story slightly different because they are being authentic. They are not collaborating with one another. They're not trying to make up a story and agree on everything. They are telling it authentically, uh, individual, accurate, and so you get these slight variations in in the story. Now, uh, the if you put the Gospels together to get a timeline, however, you will find that Jesus is saying this um, on the, 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 the Feast of um, uh, ta- uh, Tabernacles that happened at the temple. And so, uh, let me give you the context of this feast. It is to celebrate It is to celebrate the exodus of God's people from bondage in Egypt. 430 years of slavery, bondage in Egypt, and then the Lord sends them a deliverer. You know the story. Moses shows up, says, let my people go. And of course, you know the story of the exodus. Now, this becomes part of the cultural inheritance of the children of Israel. And so they celebrate it at every level of their society. They celebrate it religiously. They celebrate it as families. And they celebrate it as a people civilly uh, together. And so at the, the temple is where the largest formal celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles takes place. It happens in a part of the temple known as the Court of the Women. What's unique about the court of the women? Well, that's where the treasury was. You want to know where the women's going to be? Follow the money. (sighs) Can I get a witness? And so, um, uh, this is why this coming year we're going to start having ladies serve as ushers. Because uh, the women are better with the money than the men. And they will do a much better job of taking an offering than than the men. So, in the tabernacle and in the temple plan, uh, we won't just have ladies, but we'll have them help out. So, uh, some of you know you will be good at this. You know who you are. You will like inspect each offering. No, no, no. You can do better than that. You, you, some of you men are like, you, you like put a dollar in. That woman will hit you with that thing and say, look at them shoes. Don't give, be giving a dollar to God. Don't be giving a dollar to God. You best do what you said. You said God would bless you, and now it's time. 
Bless God. Thank God for the women in this court of the women. And so that's where they put the treasury at the court of the women. And um, so it gets even better than that. This is even cooler. Now, it's a large outdoor courtyard. And all around the, the inside wall of it, they build a columnade with a porch. So imagine you're in a large open area, but there's a porch built all the way around it that is built off. And it's covered so the weather doesn't affect it. And it's built off. And, um, uh, of course, this is where the temple had a market where they would, if you did not have a turtle dove, you could buy a turtle dove. Why? Where would you put the market? Well, if you have any sense, you put it in the court of the women. <laughs> yes, it gets worse. Not only that... The various offerings you can give, like for example, there were various uh, offerings you would give as acts, uh, as a way of supporting the temple while it was survived, while it was doing its civil duty. Uh, There's a civil and a even a, a, a public health duty that the temple had. And so they had offering collection pails that were shaped like trumpets. And so the trumpet would be very large at the base and it would rise up and it'd be very narrow at the top. And you would bring your offering, uh, and typically a coinage of some type, and you would place it in the respective uh, trumpet, uh, offering trumpet, that was uh, respective to what you were either supporting or what you were paying for. Like, for example, if you were having a ritual cleansing or something, you'll be a, a specific temple uh, uh, trumpet offering for you to place that in. And they would be placed all the way around this open courtyard. And uh, so if you came, you could walk through the market and you would get to the right spot and you would put an offering into the right uh trumpet collection plate. And it's almost like going to the mall. Now let me tell you, the Lord knows how to bless women. So he puts this kind of open market with a mall at the temple. And you can kind of like walk around and support various causes. Can I have an amen from all the ladies? Thank you very much. You're a little self-conscious this morning and uh, thinking it's a little unfair that the preacher's on you. And you're trying to pretend like you don't enjoy that. But we all know better. You can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And so uh, here is, picture this scene. Now at the Feast of Tabernacles, they set up a huge candle arbor. Did I pronounce that right? How did I, well, how would you like me to pronounce it? Candelabra, how she said. And so, uh, this huge candelabra, and uh, it would be, uh, for the Feast of the Tabernacles, uh, the tradition says they would build it up to 75 feet high. So imagine this monstrous candelabra that, that rises up, and they then place uh, lamps throughout this large, like huge living uh, candelabra thing that's just, it goes up into the sky, and um, they have pails that hold 10 gallons of oil. So, 10 gallons of oil, imagine a bucket twice the size of a five-gallon bucket, okay? And it is uh, lay, it's set there. Then they take the, the garments, the old, worn-out garments of the priesthood, and they rip them into shreds, and they use the garments of the priesthood as wicks 
that they lower down in these 10-gallon buckets, and they light the top of the wick on fire. And of course, you know, just as a candle does or a lamp does, the oil is slowly drawn up uh, by thermal, I guess, transfer into that wick, and it would burn for days. It literally would burn for days. So imagine, it is the feast of uh, tabernacles, and the whole nation is celebrating this together. And they visit this court of the women, and there uh, they are able to look among, uh, give various offerings. There's the treasury, uh, there's the little market, etc., etc. And they're able to move among this, and walk among this, and they're able to see the formal uh, celebratory, um, shall we say, candle arbor that is uh, representing a celebration of how God set people free from what? He set people free from bondage. We are still celebrating how the Lord sets people free from bondage. Oh, hallelujah, somebody. We are still celebrating how God sets people free from bondage. And so, as we uh, notice this moment in the celebratory history of the life of Israel, uh, at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, they ceremonially snuff the lanterns because some of them are burning longer than the time of the festival. And they do this, they do this, if I remember correctly, they do this at, at as the sun is going down. They, they snuff these. Uh, and so it goes to darkness. This is all ceremonial. And so on this end of the uh, Feast of the Tabernacles, as the people are observing, now not all of the people, because of course they couldn't all fit in this place, but the people who are there formally, uh, I guess even at that time, not everybody went to church. I, I don't know. But let's just say it can't fit everyone. But there's thousands and thousands of people in there. And they begin to snuff out these lanterns that are providing light in the darkness of this court of the Gentiles. And as the last candle in the, I say candle, but you get the idea. It's a very large lamp. As the last one is snuffed out, something very unique happens. Much to everybody's surprise, somebody stands up and interrupts the proceeding. Now, at a formal event, everybody has a sense of the appropriate. Everybody has a sense of when you're supposed to talk and when you're not supposed to talk. Occasionally, we will, in, if you go to any church, you will occasionally have someone who is um, interrupting in some manner. Um, and they, they may not even be intentional with it. Sometimes they, they, they may not, they, they may be in some way um, uh, unfamiliar with church. They may be a child. Uh, children love to interrupt church, and we all deserve it because when we were little, we interrupted church. And um, they, they might be in some way, um, uh, uh, challenged in some in some manner, uh, physical or mental, but but whatever the case, there's an interruption and something happens. I, I wonder if any of you've ever been in a service where there was a very large interruption. Where imagine just somebody walks in and does something very very random. I've been in services where uh, people came in and were quite 
quite disruptive and it, the, it you had to change the whole service. I was in a service one time here and a lady stood up. She was, um, she had some mental health issues, God bless her. And uh, she stood up and she started telling the, the preacher off in the middle of the message. And the awesome thing about that is I was the preacher. It was so awesome. It was so fantastic. And uh, for a moment, I just thought it was my wife. And so... Uh, <laughs> That was funny. I don't care what you say. <laughs> um, and so, as a married man, I knew what exactly what to do. Rule number one is not to lose your composure. Rule number two is to be kind. And um, rule number three is to get professional help as soon as possible. <laughs> that was funny. I, y'all aren't laughing at my jokes today. I don't even care. That was funny. And so, uh, we handled it everything. But imagine, now here's this moment. It's the in the formal ceremonial life of the children of Israel. It's in the formal ceremonial life of the temple itself. And as the last lantern is snuffed, and as the last silence uh, echoes, if possible, across that large open court, and as darkness comes down upon them, someone stands up and speaks very loudly and interrupts everything. And the name of that man was Jesus of Nazareth. And he stood up in the middle of this quiet and in the middle of this darkness. And he said, I am the light of the world. Now, let's be honest. Us church people sing that, preach that, and quote that for years. And we never take time to see what just happened. You might have been in church your whole life, but if there would have not been a need for the preacher to tell an esoteric story before the kids have their program, you may not have known that yourself. Reimagine how Jesus is presenting this. Reconsider this moment where he takes a chance and announces his ministry to the people he loves. The people who are the children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren of the original man who saw and believed in Almighty God. And here is Jesus standing and saying in the darkness as the last lantern is snuffed at the feast of the tabernacle. And he says, I am the light of the world. Now, this is disturbing to the religious powers that be, as you can imagine. And uh, this, this immediately starts a rather long theological debate where the religious leaders of the day, the devout Jews and their religious attorneys, they immediately attack Jesus and his claim. And of course, you can read about this in the next 47 verses where there is a theological debate between the claim of Jesus at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles and the legal, the religious lawyers who would seek to reprove him for his claim. He says, into the darkness, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In the next 47 verses, the religious lawyers were in, will interrupt Jesus 10 times. They are terrified of his claim. They think that it is an abomination. They think that it is blasphemy. 
then this is where the first of so many of our sayings that we as church people use without taking sometimes the time to understand the context and we quote one to another. This is the religious context that Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. This is the religious context where it is fulfilled, Isaiah 9 and 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. This is the fulfillment of what was prophesied through Zechariah in Luke chapter number 1. The day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. This is the fulfillment of Luke chapter number 2, verse number 32. A light to bring revelation. Someone say revelation. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is the fulfillment of John's introduction in his first chapter. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. I want to tell you today the greatest message of introduction into who Jesus Christ is is the message he gave of himself standing in the darkness after the last light of the law has been snuffed and he says I am the light of the world. <laughs> There is an imperfect light given in the Old Testament. Uh, let me take a chance here and say something mildly controversial. Just because, you know, it wouldn't be Sunday if Brother Nate didn't say something controversial. Okay. So, uh, we have to be careful when we do theology in the Old Testament because the New Testament is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. And if you want to get closest to understanding God, you do it through the Gospels, the story, the testimony of Jesus Christ. Everyone before Jesus Christ is seeing through a glass darkly. And although they are inspired, inspiration is not quite the same thing as one who can stand before you and say, before Abraham was, I am. When your children are attacked in college, it's going to happen through the Old Testament. When the faith of your young people is assaulted by this world, it's going to happen by quoting the Old Testament. And what the unbelievers and the atheists of this world want you to do is to defend the Old Testament the same way you defend Jesus. And I want to tell you, there's a difference between those who see through the glass of their, 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 their imperfect knowledge and Jesus standing before you saying, I am the light of the world. The Gospels are the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I can be inspired by the Old Testament. I can learn examples from the Old Testament. But you're never going to get me sucked into an argument with an atheist trying to defend everything in the Old Testament. You want to know what I build my life upon? Uh, Jesus Christ and him crucified. You want to know what my hope is built on? Uh, the first fruits of the one who rose from the dead. The one who turned another cheek. The one in whom no fault was found. The one whom never spake man like this man. I'm going to tell you there's no one like 
Jesus. I am on a mission. I am on a mission to make you proud of this man, Jesus. You don't just have to be proud of him on a faith-based level. You can be proud of him civilly. You can be proud of him philosophically. You can be proud of him in the history of the legal code. He changed everything. Jesus is the only man. Hear me today. Let me just throw this in here uh, for a discount rate. I'll give you holiday pricing on this one, okay? Jesus is the only man of whom every world religion makes a place. Even if they want to uh, uh, lower his standing, uh, adult, uh, uh, alter his standing, they all make a place for him. No one else in the world has a special place made for them by every major world religion. In other words, every faith of the human story looks at Jesus and says, we can't ignore him. We've got to find some place in our liturgy for his uniqueness because there's no one like Jesus Christ. Whether it is Hinduism, whether it is Mohammedism, whether it is any of the various religions of the world, they all of them must make a place for Jesus because there is no one like him. And the greatest question of the human heart is, who is this man? And so let me, since it's the holiday season, say this uh, with you uh, and uh, let you be reminded, this this is the this is Christ the king who shepherds guard and angels sing so haste haste to bring him laud the babe the son of mary i want you to see there's no one like him and on this moment he stands up before uh, the people he's trying to save they have had an imperfect light they've had the law of moses given to them it is imperfect. Its main job is to introduce you to this one. And they have been given an imperfect ministry. The priesthood at its best is flawed as mankind is flawed. All ministry at its best is flawed as mankind is flawed. That is why as a church we do not place a higher theological standing for ministry above saints. We believe in the universal priesthood of the believer. This is why we don't confess to a man. Because there is no man between you and God. Some of you guys need to get serious about your theology. You may not even know what you believe. You need to understand the universal priesthood of the believer. You don't go make confession to a priesthood and the priesthood tell you to do 14 Hail Marys. And I'm not trying to make enemies out of our, our Catholic friends. But I want you to know there is a distinction that we have. We believe in the universal priesthood of the believer. God's desire is not to have a relationship with the priest. And then you have a relationship with the priest. God's desire is to have a relationship with you. And what God decided you need was not a priest. God decided you needed a preacher. If I keep trying, I might do good before this day is done. You don't need a priest. You need a preacher. You need someone to say you need God. You need an altar. You need to repent of your sins. You need to be baptized in his name. You need to be filled with the spirit. You need a preacher, not a priest. The goal of the New Testament is not for you to go to a priest. It's for you to become a priest. Yeah. 
I might have to put that on Twitter. <laughs> and so I want you to see ministry at its best is through the imperfection of humanity. Whenever you read the news media try to destroy faith by showing you another crooked preacher, you shouldn't be surprised. You already knew. Why? There are, they are people. Some of them try harder than others. Some of them are better liars than others. Some of them have problems with women. Some of them have problems with money. Some of them have problems with both. Thank you for getting quiet. You didn't want to, you know, appreciate you getting quiet there. What I want you to see is that it Jews had had an imperfect ministry. And although they had the light that had been given through the law, it was a light that would always be snuffed out. Oh, my Lord. And although the wicks of that light was made from the garments of the priests, and the light burned as it was set, and the heat wicks up the oil of anointing through the garments of the priesthood and provides some light. It's always going to be snuffed out. And so on this day, oh, hallelujah. When the celebration is done, when the tabernacle plan has come to its fulfillment, on this day when the last priest covers the last burning pot of anointing oil wicked up through the flawed garments of the priesthood, Jesus stands and announces himself into the darkness and says, I am the light of the world. 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 You see, we all of us need light in this life we are living. We all of us need light in this life we are living. Think about it for a moment. The great, vast dominant majority of life cannot survive without access to the sun. There are a few random species of bacteria that can live off of the thermal processes of, of deep sea vents and the like, uh, but that is very, very rare. The vast, vast, like 99 point something, 999% of life requires direct access to the sun. In fact, if you do not have access to the sun, your body will quit producing the adequate levels of vitamin D and uh, you will begin to suffer in the very protein formation of your, of your body. Whether it is a plant to make oxygen, which you cannot make oxygen without plants, uh, as far as a planet-level scale, without the sun, there's no plants. Without there's plants, there's no oxygen carbon dioxide cycle. Without no oxygen carbon dioxide cycle, there's not carbon-based life as we know it. And so without the sun, there is no life. What I want you to see is that Jesus often uses life as a word to encompass many words. There are many, many places in the scripture where Jesus 
says life and you can read it as salvation. He says life and you can read it as new life. He says life and you can read it as purpose. You can read it as happiness. You can read it as joy because in him was life and that life was the what? The light of mankind. There is a, uh, there is a syndrome. Now I'm not a medical person and so forgive me if I get anything wrong. Um, there is a syndrome in, uh, in, in uh, pediatrics called failure to thrive. And this is when uh, an infant, particularly a preemie or an infant that has some, uh, something wrong with them, uh, is not thriving. It should, that, that he or she, the little infant, forgive me for calling them a it, <laughs> he or she, the little sweethearts, uh, they should thrive. They should start becoming robust. They should start crying with a loud a loud voice and a strong hand. If you have a baby and he's not crying with a loud voice and a strong hand, uh, you need to worry about it. That baby should thrive. That baby should start waving his arms and kicking her feet in a very active manner. And um, if you have a baby that's not doing that, you may not be doing it right. If you come to my house, I will show you how to love a baby. And literally, there's a study out yesterday that shows difference in, um, if I remember the story correctly, difference in DNA expression in babies uh, that are cuddled and babies who are not cuddled. So, bless God, if you have a baby, you better love the fire out of that little sucker. And if you don't, just let us know and between me and my wife and Don and uh, his wife and the rest of the leadership team, we will love the fire out of all them babies for you. Bless God. Failure to thrive. They should be doing good, but they're not. Let me tell you, there's so many broken lives out there. They should be thriving, but they're not. They have been so blessed. God's given them health. He's given them talent. He's given them a sound mind. He gave them a great upbringing. They should be thriving. They should wake up in the morning and step out into a a crisp fall day and breathe in God's creation. And within themselves, there should be something that rises up and they should think, oh, great is the Lord. He's been so good to me. I cannot tell it all. I cannot tell it all. I cannot tell it all. He's been so good to me. That's the morning they should have. But instead of that kind of morning, they wake up and there is pain in them. There's pain in their soul. Their, their, their consciousness is like filled with ground glass and everything hurts. It's as though they roll in insulation and everything itches. It is though their whole body is wounded and they are aching. They've been giving everything, but they're failing to thrive. You know what? They might need to be cuddled by their creator. They might need to be held by the arms of their creator. Light gives life. When life fails to thrive, it might need just a little bit more life. Jesus often says life. You could say salvation. I am come that they might have salvation and they might have it more abundantly. He that the Son hath, he that hath the Son, another scripture, hath life, or shall we say salvation? Paul said, even when we were dead through our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. 
life, speaking of spiritual life, very much can be used as salvation. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The second thing life does, and I'm, I'm moving quickly along. Uh, the second thing life does is it, of course, reveals. It gives understanding. Uh, we, uh, years ago, uh, well, before we remodeled the church, uh, we did not have 1,700 exit signs in the church. Now we have 1,700 exit signs in the church. There used to be no exit signs in the church. If there was a fire, you were expected to follow the word of knowledge. <laughs> and so if there was a fire or a terrorist threat, you were stopping, you were supposed to go home, boom, shakalaka. And then you would know where to go. You get it? But, uh, but once, you know, once, once we uh, started using some of you guys in ministry, all the word of knowledge left. And you didn't laugh. That was funny. Man, tough crowd. And uh, the city required us to put up all these 1900 exit signs. And so now, when you walk in the church, it is well lit. Even if it is a dim red kind of, you know, uh, red alert style of lighting. Also, you have access to these windows now. When you walk in the church now, it is not like a cave of doom. But when I was growing up, and I, uh, the first 10 years or so I was a pastor here, uh, or one of the pastors here, uh, the inside of the church was a black gloom. How many of you have ever walked in this church to pray and you could not see your hand in front of your face? See, that's more than a handful. Now, uh, you, just because you didn't have Jesus in your heart, you know, that's, a, that's something we're still working on for all of you. Um, but um, you would walk in this church, you literally could not see anything. And so what I would do, I'd walk in this church, I knew about where to step. So I would test my spatial awareness by walking at a slow pace because it hurts to walk into a pew going fast. I would kind of feel my way, you know, I'd echolocate. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, echo. And I would make my way to the back door because the lights were just by the back door. And I would make my way through and I'd turn the lights on and then you could see. You know what was funny is a few times people like, don't tell him I said so, but Dave Sandlin would come by to the church to pray. And he's really about coming by here to get away from his wife and, you know, try to have a nap. That's really why I was trying to get here. I can say that because she's my family and I get to be mean to my family. I don't know why he was coming. Maybe he was trying to get away from me. But he, I, maybe I, he knew I wouldn't be here. Who knows? And so he'd come to the church, and I'd come into the church, and I'd, 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 I'd flip the switch, and he'd be laid out right here. Or uh, he still does that in the prayer room sometimes. Don't tell him I said so. Uh, <laughs> funniest thing is when you come to the church, it's perfectly dark, and you hear someone snoring. You turn on the light and it's one of the sisters. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so light reveals. Light reveals. We, all of us, need understanding. Somebody say spiritual understanding. You need that. Let me tell you something. Your life is too complicated for you if you don't have spiritual understanding. But every mess you find yourself in can be made much smoother with just a little bit of spiritual understanding. When you're attacked by the enemy of your soul, your life is ever so much better with a little spiritual understanding. If you're having trouble in your marriage, uh, yeah, ooga, ooga, die, die. If you're having trouble in your marriage, 
marriage, let me tell you, a little bit of spiritual understanding will make things ever so much better. If you're struggling with parenting, a little bit of spiritual understanding will make things ever so much better. He is the light that has shined in our life and he has made all things new. The third thing I want you to see that light does is light guides. We need guidance in our life. It was at the Christmas season when wise men in the east lifted their eyes and they saw a sign and the sign beckoned them to find the king of the Jews. What was the sign? It was his star. It was his star. It was his light. From the beginning till now, light has always given life. It has always illuminated understanding. It has always guided into the chaos of a world without form and void. God said, what? Let there be light to this day in the chaotic soul, troubled by the difficulties of their life, filled with pain and suffering, brokenness. So it is that God still speaks to the chaos of their unformed, sin-broken soul and says, let there be light. We, all of us, need guidance. Our lives are filled with decisions. Do you ever get tired of making decisions? Uh, you just get tired of making decisions. Uh, I, I, I know, I, I was just talking to someone this week. They were talking about how they have to make decisions all day, all day day, all day. And when they get home, they don't want to make any decisions. Just whatever. Whatever you want to do, I don't care. Um, and it doesn't get any better if you go shopping. Uh, uh, capitalism has seen to it that you have to make endless decisions. Crest toothpaste comes in 27 varieties. Which one is best? I don't know. Smell your breath. I mean, I, I don't know which one's best. Campbell's soup comes in 53 versions. 53. Okay. Surely something like vanilla ice cream uh, is safe, right? Vanilla ice cream can come in just a few versions. Well, let's talk about Briars. That's pretty good ice cream. Uh, some of you are Bluebell people. Some of you are Briars people. I grew up on Briars. My wife grew up on Bluebell, so that's why we're getting a divorce. But anyway, moving along. <laughs> Yeah, we don't believe in divorce. Homicide, yes. Divorce, no. Uh, just Briar's ice cream has natural vanilla, French vanilla, half the fat, no sugar added, extra creamy, homemade, lactose-free, carb smart. Let me tell you something. You guys who are fooling yourself with carb smart, smart ice cream, you're smoking crack. Just get the fat stuff. It's the same thing. One of them is just psychological warfare to make you feel better about yourself. And if you buy into that stuff, you would do a great job serving the Illuminati. <laughs> Cheerios cereal. There's just one Cheerios, right? No, there's Honey Nut. Honey Nut Medley Crunch. Apple Cinnamon. Banana Nut. Frosted Chocolate. Multigrain. Multigrain Peanut Butter. Dochi de Leche. And a Cinnamon Burst. But thank God for head and shoulder shampoo. <laughs> There's just one head and shoulder shampoo. Oh, scratch that part. There's active sport, old spice, deep clean, hair endurance, refresh, extra strength for men, citrus breeze, ocean lift, dry scalp care with almond oil. That's the kind Brother Paul needs. Uh, with almond oil, classic clean, sorry brother, sensitive scalp care, itchy scalp with eucalyptus, that's brother Adam, uh, smooth and silky extra volume, green apple, that's Giselle, damage rescue, extra strength, clinical strength, and there's seven more, but you're tired of hearing about them. 
Sorry, darling. I figured now that you're married, you're used to being treated bad. So, you know. What got into me this morning? Y'all should send me to New York more often. (laughs) I want you to see. I want to sell you on Jesus. I want you to be proud to say, I'm trying to live my life like this man. I want you to be able to say it in educated company. I want you to be able to say it in unbelieving company. I want you to be able to say it with lawyers. I want you to be able to say it with philosophers. I want you to be able to say it with your neighbor. I'm a Jesus follower. They'll respond to you something like, well, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the church. And say, I didn't say I'm a church follower. I go to a church. But if I judge myself on the church, honey, that'd be, I'd be of all men most miserable. Let me tell you, I'm a Jesus follower. The church is filled of imperfect people like me. But not Jesus. He alone is good. He alone is beautiful. Of his ethics, there is no reason to be ashamed. Of his love, there is no end. Of his mercy, there is no expression. It goes beyond words. I want to sell you on Jesus. I'm proud to say he is the highest point of philosophy. He is the highest point of ethics. He is the highest point of religion. He is the highest point of the human story. And no one explains the soul condition of humankind better than this man. No one has a better plan for the broken emptiness of the soul than this man. I've told you before of my friend who's a lifelong atheist. And he came to church a few times and they actually moved south. So it's a lot. He's over an hour away. So they don't come now. But uh, he came to church a few times. And, uh, and I asked him why he was coming. I was surprised. I know him through sports. And I was surprised he was coming. A, a lifelong atheist. You don't expect a guy like that to show up, you know. And he was trying to explain it to me. And he's a little sheepish because he, he's one of the ones who's mocked me a little bit, you know. And kind of made fun of me a little bit. And uh, made me kind of look silly in front of other unbelievers, you know. Uh, and it's okay. It's an honor to have a few people try to, you know, make you look bad for Jesus Christ. It's an honor. That whenever it happens, you should go buy a Powerball ticket because that's your lucky day. (laughs) Just kidding. Don't tell my dad I said that. Um, (laughs) If you bear reproof for the name of Jesus, it's your lucky day. What an honor. What a joy. And he had kind of popped on me a little bit in front of other people when they had a good hearty har-har at Nate the Preacher, you know, and all that stuff. Doesn't bother me. Well, I'm talking a little tough. I was a little embarrassed in the moment, but after I thought about how I could cut off the friendship and never speak to him again, and I prayed a little bit, and the Lord made me realize that if I was going to be a Christian, I'd act like one, and yeah. So I didn't cut off the friendship, and I said, why, why, why would you come to church? And he said, well, he said, I don't know if I believe in God. He said, but you know, uh, when you think about Jesus and what's going on there. He said, "Um, I don't know if I believe in God, but let me tell you, I deeply feel like I need redemption. 
I, I know I believe in redemption. Isn't that awesome? Some of you guys aren't sophisticated enough to be to enjoy that. You still think, well, bless God, he didn't get Acts 2.38. That's all right. We're glad you're here. We're going to try to get him there. I want you to see this is a big step for somebody who their whole life has, they don't believe in God. They, they read every Sam Harris book. You know, they don't believe in God, but they believe in Sam Harris. And so um, he said, I believe in redemption and I believe there's something in the human heart that desperately needs to be redeemed. Let me tell you something. No one explains the broken condition of the human heart better than Jesus Christ. You need redemption in your life. And so let me end with this. The last thing light always does to the human experience is it banishes fear. You know, one of the great things about having little people is you see them go through different stages. And the first stage is when they're they're, they're too simple to be afraid of anything. They don't have any fear. Um, you take a little, little kid to the, to the beach, uh, they won't be afraid of the waves. At least mine weren't. They'll run straight down to the waves. You take them a few years later, and they have, they're like smart enough now to be afraid, and they're more nervous. They don't want to get right in the ocean. Um, when kids are little, you put them to bed, they probably aren't afraid of the dark. But when they get a little older, they're afraid of the dark. And so recently, my daughter, who's never had any problem going to sleep before, as long as we put her to sleep, say her night prayers, give her her babies. She has many children. And she sleeps with her arms around her babies. And she's lying there with her babies right here. And she could, no problem. But here recently, she got afraid. She saw something on uh, YouTube, which she calls A2Boo. Uh, she's watching some A2Boos. And uh, uh, she's lying there. She gets afraid. And I said, you've been watching scary things on the A2 booze. Yeah. She's afraid for the first time. And I said, well, how about we leave the light on? Okay. If you turn the light off, she cries. But if you leave the light on, she's fine. She can go to sleep. You know what you do with fearful people? You give them some light. Christ casts out fear. Let's all stand. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Why don't you step out of the chair you're in? Let's come stand across the front. <clears throat> Thank you all again for coming out on this briskly beautiful holiday Sunday morning. I, wanna, I want you all to know I love you. I pray for you during the week. I pray the blessings of the Lord upon you. I pray the Lord would give you understanding and I pray the Lord would bless you financially. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Church can't be blessed if you're not blessed. Preacher can't be blessed if the church isn't blessed because the preacher gets prayed last, just so you know. <laughs> so I, I pray for God's blessing in your life. I pray that God will give you wisdom in the roles of your life. Some of you are some of you are married and you have the tensions of your middle years and there's tensions in your marriage. And I pray the Lord would give you wisdom and understanding in that time. Some of you are raising kids. Some of you have teenagers. God save you. God save you. If you raise teenagers, if you ever raise teenagers, you know you're going to heaven because you've already been put through you know where. <laughs> so, you know, there's challenges of parenting. There's challenges of parenting. I, my son, my, is my son in here? Okay. My son, he went to fourth grade this year. He started having anxiety attacks. And uh, he would just, before he'd go to sleep, he'd start crying. He says, I'm just afraid I can't do it. I'm just afraid I can't do it. I'm, I'm afraid I can't. Because he was putting all these special 
classes because he's supposed to be smarter than the average bear. And so he's putting all these, uh, the, 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 the accelerated classes, and they're putting a bunch of pressure on him. Every night he's trying, I just don't think I can do it. I, I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you. I'm afraid I'm, I'm afraid I, and I'm like, son, dude, you, you've, you've, you're, you're already the picture of awesomeness. So, I mean, just relax, but he can't help it. Some of you know that kind of strange parenting. Things that happen and you don't know why. And you have to fight it. And you have to, and you worry about it. And some of you have, te- you, 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 you're facing job uncertainty. You're facing job uncertainty. You don't know exactly what's going to happen with the career situation. And the truth is, this is not the best holiday year you've ever had. And the bonus really didn't knock you out of your car this year. It kept you in that old thing. <laughs> this is what I want you to know. Jesus is with you. And whatever complexity is in your life, Jesus is with you. Some of you are facing health challenges. You know, Christianity is the only religion where God God suffers in order to be closer to you. There's no other world religion where deity suffers to be close to you. But because he suffers, he it was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Because he understands that you can know in your suffering, he paid the price to be close to you. Lord Jesus, I pray for your people here today. I pray for these wonderful hearts here. I thank you for them, God. I thank you for all their talents, their gifts. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the great investment you've made in them. Lord, I pray each of us would perceive how near you are to us. I pray each of us would perceive how close you are to us. I pray you would guide. I pray you would embrace. I pray you would protect. I pray you would be the giver of wisdom. I pray you would banish fear. I pray you would direct our steps. I pray you would bless us according to your will. I pray you would do a work that is beyond what we can comprehend so we're able to live a life that is ordained by heaven, not simply planned on earth. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Would you take your neighbor's hand or put a hand on their shoulder, whatever is appropriate, whatever is comfortable. Uh, let's, let's have a moment here before we, before we go on with our day. Lord Jesus, I pray your touch, your blessing, your love upon these wonderful people. I pray you would walk with them, Lord. I pray you would flow through them, Lord. I pray you would let them feel the deep, deep current of your love in their life every day. Not just on a special day. Not not just on a special day. But Lord Jesus, on an ordinary day, I pray they'd feel the deep current of your presence. The deep current of your love. In Jesus' name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What a wonder you are. Oh, Jesus. What a wonder you Jesus, Jesus, what a 
Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. A couple things. If you if you need special prayer, don't feel like we're just treating this like a holiday. We have a ministry team that will pray with you as long as you need prayer. They will anoint you with oil. They were they will join with you as a prayer partners. They will believe with you. They will stay in touch with you. Don't feel like just because a specific altar time was not directed at your specific need. I may have preached on grace and you needed marriage advice. Don't, don't think just because we have a, a, a very strong ministry team here at the church that will work with you in more than just a church format. And I, I want you to know that. And I want you to I want you to open yourself up to let the church help you in any way that it can. Uh, also, I want to encourage you, um, if you would like to if your schedule allows you. I'd love you to, 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 to feel free to stay for the 11 a.m. service and see the kids program. The kids have worked so hard and uh, we're going to get them right on. I'm not preaching again. We're going to get them on. We're going to worship and then we're going to do, uh, you know, we'll get them on really quick right after we greet the guests and um, uh, that would be a lot of fun and they've worked hard and I know you would enjoy that and they're also awesome and beautiful anyway and so have a great holiday season. We love you. We pray God's blessing upon on you. Greet one another in the name of the Lord. Have a great week in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.